0: Hey folks, welcome back to the show. We have a great episode for you today. But before I get started, who's feeling a bit peckish? Are you maybe in between meals? Did you get caught out without a snack on you or something to bridge you over to your next meal? Look, we're always, all of us, whether it's ourselves or our family, always in need of a good snack. And my choice is a protein-packed snack that is easy to grab on the go. And these are Paleo Valley beef sticks. They have literally become my go-to snacks, whether I'm traveling or out on the road, wherever I am. These sticks, and they literally actually got me through my move this summer. (laughs) Me and my whole family got us through our move. These sticks are made from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, so they are the real deal. And like so many others on the market that claim to be grass-fed, Paleo Valley sticks are made from beef that is not secretly finished on grains. They take pride in sourcing their beef from small domestic farms in the U.S., And they also use real organic spices, so no more worrying about conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or natural flavors derived from questionable GMO corn. Whether you're following a keto lifestyle or simply seeking a protein-rich snack, these beef sticks have you covered. To try them for yourself, just head on over to paleovalley.com forward slash Natalie, and that's Natalie with an H, -H N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E, to save 15% off your full order. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about this episode. So many of you in my communities and so many of my followers are often asking the questions like, what can I do to deal with a chronic illness? People get gaslighted by their physicians who, frankly, aren't trying to be bad actors, but they just don't know what to do, right? So this is what we are going to talk about in this riveting discussion with Dr. Turnpaw in this week's episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. We venture into the tricky terrains of Lyme disease and MCAS, highlighting the controversies surrounding their testing. You'll hear a compelling anecdote about a patient who had a startling reaction to gluten while battling Lyme disease. Now, this story leads us into a discussion of immune reaction Of immune responses, specifically post traumatic immune responses. We weave together the intriguing connection between long COVID and long Lyme, even exploring the potential impact of the notorious spike protein. Our conversation takes a turn towards hidden health risks and the pressing need for early detection. We also discuss peptides. We talk about a couple of innovative supplement formulas from this episode sponsor, healthgevity used in a very particular way in clinical practice that will actually shock you. Shocked me. So, Dr. Turnpaw is the owner and president of Turnpaw Health, a company with over sixty-five employees and five locations. Dr. Turnpaw is passionate about functional medicine which is what led him to open the Turnpa Health and Wellness Center or the first one in 1999. He has extensive experience in supporting patients who are dealing with the most difficult chronic autoimmune and neurological health conditions and over 4 years ago he started the Liveevity program a program dedicated to maximizing life and health span in all people. He's lectured on a wide variety of topics, both nationally and internationally. I would say Dr. Turnpaw and his team are a real find. If you especially if you've never heard about them, if you're dealing, whether you're dealing with chronic diseases or just wanting to live longer and healthier, you did definitely want to check these guys out. And to do that, you'll want to go to his website, which is Turnpawhwc.com. The link is in the show notes, but Turnpaw is T-U-R-N-P-A-U-G-H-H-W-C.com. Now, as I mentioned briefly in the intro, uh, this episode was generously sponsored by Health Jevity, And if you're inspired by any of Dr. Turnpaw's stories closer to the end of the episode, we don't really talk about them much at the beginning, you'll want to go to healthjev.com and use code LONGEVITY. If you decide to buy anything to save money. Okay. A couple more things before we launch into the episode. Number one, I want to thank you for being here. You guys are the best. I have to tell you the best audience ever. I get the most amazing comments and questions and feedback from you. Please keep it coming. Please let me know what you want to hear about from me in solo episodes. I've committed to doing two of those a month for the rest of the year And so those solo episodes are here for me to serve you. So if there's anything in particular you want to hear me talking about, please let me know what that is. If you're getting value from my episodes, please make sure to share it with your network and your friends. And if you're looking to connect with me directly, you can do that either in my private membership community on Mighty Networks or you can do it through Facebook. I'm not there quite as often these days, but I'm still will pop in every once in a while in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance group on Facebook, which is a free community. The private membership community is paid. But in that membership community, if you join as an annual member, you get access to my Peptide Crash Course. We host experts to come in to do live Q&As on a regular basis. And of course, there's live Q&As with me two to three weeks a month for sure and lots more perks. Okay, and last but not least, if you're feeling also inspired, please make sure that you leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Okay, one last thing before we jump into the episode Look, many of you have, because if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've already added nitric oxide to your daily routine and are supporting healthy circulation. And if you're not, then you're going to want to check out Berkeley Life Pro's nitric oxide support. However... It's now time to introduce some key brain ingredients to you. Berkeley Life's exciting new product that complements their nitric oxide foundation supplement. Cognitive support is centered around naturally optimizing your cognitive health. Who couldn't use that, right? This new supplement is designed to support key brain functions like processing speed, psychomotor speed, sustained attention, and even composite and verbal memory. I've been using it for about a month and I love this stuff. The best part? It's a natural stimulant-free formula that's been thoroughly researched and is backed by science, like everything else that Berkeley does. When you combine cognitive support with Berkeley Life's Nitric Oxide Foundation, you're in for an incredible cognitive boost. The two work together seamlessly to deliver essential ingredients like alpinina, galanga, sulforaphane, and lutein efficiently to the brain, enhancing cognitive performance to its full potential without concern of caffeine crashes or Jitters. You can access Berkeley Life by going to berkeleylife.com and using practitioner code NIDDBL to place your order today. And now let's jump into that episode. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have an amazing guest for you today. Dr. Turnpaw is here with us, and uh, you already know all about him from the introduction. But I'm now going to welcome him to the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Turnpaw, to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: This is going to be a great conversation. Hopefully, I don't send us scattered in twenty-seven different directions because or myself. <laughs> well, we've you know we've we've had this b- the big conversation before the podcast thing, and I'm like, wow, there's so many things I want to talk about. So let's just start with what you do. You know, like I think that you're you're the doctor, and you run clinics that a lot of the audience that I come across, a lot of these people that I interact with in the groups you're the people that people are looking for. And and I say that because you're willing to deal with complex cases that a lot of other physicians just run screaming from the room from. And so maybe just share with us a little bit about your practice and, and the people that you help.
1: Well, sure. So our our office, we have four offices. We have a a staff of about 65 people and over 20 clinicians who work with us. I don't say underneath me because we all work together. Um, And our goal is to have as much bandwidth for I don't feel good-itis. It's a term I made up. Anybody who doesn't feel good for whatever reason, and like many other people in our space, we take care of people that have nowhere else to go. But we try to put a, a, a period at the end of that sentence. And, you know, sometimes I want to hang a sign that says we're the last chance saloon because we're going to, even if we <laughs> don't know what we're doing, we're going to try and figure it out. So we'll take care of um, a broad variety. We're in central Pennsylvania, so we do a lot of Lyme. We're all Lyme literate doctors. Uh, we do a lot of mast cell activation, water damage, building SIRS cases, uh, uh, chronic autoimmune cases, uh, and, and even... We have a full-time psychologist, so even getting into the psychology of how chronic disease affects people. So we really try to have a breadth of whatever you come in with, we're going to try and figure out, and we're going to work hard and collaboratively with other doctors. We have that little hospital down the street called Johns Hopkins, so sometimes we fight with them. (laughs) That little place. (laughs) That little place down the street. So we're on a a first-name basis with them, and sometimes it's not good, and sometimes it is, but we're trying to figure this out. And one of the things we'll do in our, in our um, office, as I was sharing with you before. In the state of Pennsylvania, we're the largest blood draw center outside of a hospital in the state because we use a ton of biomarkers. We're always looking, we're collaborative with the labs trying to figure out what does this mean? How can I use this as a predictive marker rather than a confirmatory marker? What is the, you know, how can I move this needle? What is gonna actually change a biomarker so that I know that I'm making a difference before symptoms change or even if symptoms did change, am I changing the long-term outcome based on the labs? Hmm.
0: So. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that, you know, the whole idea of test, don't guess, and especially when you're dealing with someone with a complex issue, that, you know, there's, we're going to talk about a couple of these conditions that people are dealing with that are not very well understood. And, you know, we always want to understand what's driving, you know, what's driving the problem? Why is a person always inflamed? Why do they seem to break out in hives every time they blink the wrong way? And that can be really elusive. And maybe talk a little bit about that. You know, it's those people that come in and it just seems like everything's wrong. Where do you begin? How do you start? Well,
1: so we, we do a lot of Interoffice office training and and one of the things i try to say is what's the mechanism what is your mechanism that's causing this instead of you have these symptoms or you have these markers what's the mechanism behind it and are we getting to the mechanism of of what's driving it so uh and sometimes that mechanism may be a previous infection that's no longer there and sometimes it's a mechanism of a re-exposure sometimes it's a mechanism of you know even the simple but not so simple things like diet and sleep and rest mm-hmm. and overtraining undertraining all of those things can be mechanisms so we're really looking at um not just the markers but lifestyle like what are you doing what are you exposing yourself to what might be a trigger for you and not just you know if somebody says these are my labs what do i do well, that's very helpful but what is the mechanism how did you get there so what's the mechanism behind what's going on so trying to really understand as opposed to how do you treat how do you treat ms well um, well, MS, is, how do we support it is we're looking for the mechanism that drove you to it. It's really just a a, a descriptive term. It's not really telling me how you got where you are.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's interesting. I think one of the things I'm hearing here is also the importance. And and I feel like this has gotten lost, certainly in conventional medicine, maybe because of economics and and the time crunches that doctors are under. But the idea of What's your story? Like, what's your medical history? like and and having the the luxury of time to go back with a patient as far as necessary, probably to the very beginning of when they came into this world, to understand, you know, what's been the trajectory and when did things start to go sideways? Because I've definitely, and I'm sure you're one of these people, I've spoken to physicians who are like, sometimes, sometimes the patient knows. You know, they, they will tell you, they've like, nothing's been the same since that day when, and that can be the biggest
1: clue. And, and, you know, respecting the patient. So I think that's lost in the art of, of modern medicine too, is, is the doctor talks down to the patient instead of talks with the patient. And so the patients, even though they don't know exactly the physiology they're talking about, they know what happened. They know their body, they know how to describe it. And that's why... I'm sure many of the offices, it's an hour for the first, it's an hour and a half, actually, for me, Mm -hmm. for the first visit, and it's an hour for the second visit, and it's not negotiable. The first two visits are not negotiable, and sometimes you get the answer in the 89th minute of a conversation. (laughs) I think it's also very important, a lot of these, a lot of people out there, um, they're almost gun shy to tell their story because they've told it so many times without resonating with somebody. So you have to develop a rapport with them so that they're willing to share and be vulnerable. And if they're vulnerable, that's when you get the information. It's not, I have this symptom, it started when, and that's when they're vulnerable and they tell you their story. And it makes sense. And you Mm -hmm. honor that. And then you, you get more information out of them. And it used to be in medicine, you got all of your information from a detailed history Then we kind of got lazy and we got all of our information from diagnostics. And really it's the marriage of the two. It's the story and then the advanced diagnostics and how do they merge?
0: Yeah, I love that. We know you help people right across the spectrum, right? From the person who's, pardon the expression, a hot mess coming in the door, who's been to 700 different doctors, who who basically has gotten to the point where they're still looking for that person who's going to listen to them and help them, right up to the patient that everybody wants, who is the patient who walks in is killing it saying, look, I just want to live longer, healthier and just help me to do that. So let's start on this, the left side of the spectrum of the person who comes in essentially feeling like they're broken, right? And so, and, and let's talk about a couple of the different conditions that you really see that seem to be getting people to that place.
1: Well, and I will say I feel so blessed because we have so many clinicians and I get to sit back and kind of oversee them all. So we'll get like 250 new patients a month and I get to cherry pick the ones that are most interesting or the ones that I can learn the most from. So Mm -hmm. again, in central Pennsylvania, we see a lot of Lyme disease. We see a lot of water damage building in SERS. We see a lot of MCAS, a lot of even things that don't have a name, like I don't feel good. I'm chronically fatigued. I don't have motivation like I did before. Uh, a ton of autoimmune diseases from various names with various crossover so really started with that kind of immune dysregulation immune system's not working right I'm overreactive I'm underreactive uh, and they've labeled it with something with a Latin term which is an icd-10 code so that's kind of <laughs> um, what what kind of walks in and it's interesting you said you know left to the right and from that we have developed a program called Livgevity and one of our other docs run it and she gets the benefit of seeing the patients who think they're healthy and want to stay healthy. And she runs a whole slew of labs on them as well, just to see where they are. Um, so we see the, the, the sick, sick, sick people that really aren't doing well and are on their last leg all the way up to the people that walk in and say, I think I'm great, I just want to stay great.
0: Yeah, so. for sure. So let's talk about Lyme and MCAS because, and then not together, right? Because these are two, you know, in the communities that I, that I, that I kind of operate, these are two of the issues that we hear about that people struggle with the most Um, Lyme to begin with, people still argue about testing for Lyme and what shows up and what doesn't. And then, and then with MCAS, it seems to me to be now this holding bucket, and it's like a whole bunch of stuff just gets lumped into the MCAS bucket that we don't know what to do with it. It's a bit like the PCOS bucket, right? Young women with hormonal dysregulation. You have PCOS. Nobody actually really knows what that means. Here's a prescription for the birth control pill. We'll see you. See
1: you later. Have a good see life. Problems with that? Yeah, yeah. So Lyme disease. You're right. It's the controversy. Is is deep and long and wide. And it starts two big organizations, IDSA, Infectious Disease Societies of America versus ILADS, International Lyme and Associated Disease. And I think they, um, they argue over what's Lyme, what's not Lyme, what's not chronic Lyme, what is. And then it's nuanced over when do you have active Lyme and when have you recovered from Lyme, but your immune system hasn't recovered? So right. a lot of people have Lyme and co-infections, and that's challenging enough to look for with accurate marker, markers and tests. And then you can um, have, I'll tell a quick little, little anecdotal story. I had a patient who had Lyme disease, had the tick bite on their shoulder, developed a bullseye rash, recovered from Lyme disease, and every time they ate gluten, that the bullseye rash came back. Come on. And if they went to another Lyme doctor, and so every time they ate gluten, they went back on antibiotics for Lyme disease. Well, antibiotics don't kill gluten. So what? it's the understanding, again, of the mechanism. So when your immune system gets turned on by any kind of biotoxin, in this case, we'll pick on Lyme disease or the spirochete, um, your immune system kind of gets primed for that inflammatory response. So you mm-hmm. can prime your system to this inflammatory response, much like you can do with a concussion, priming your brain. So you get an immune priming. And then it doesn't take the same infection to drive the same symptoms in the body. So some of the confusion in the Lyme world, um, and I know they would disagree with me, but I'm telling you it's true, is you got Lyme disease, you recovered from your pathogenic burden, but you're still expressing this primed position. And so you have stressful event or you get uh, a food intolerance or you break up with your your girlfriend or boyfriend and you still get the symptoms back and the symptoms will mimic Lyme but it's not Lyme it's expression of your inflammatory response and that ties nicely into MCAS that's one of the ways you can get this mast cell activation you get this histaminic response the is being released in this fight or flight response as a consequence of priming from a previous infection. So,
0: wow. So then the infectious agent doesn't even need to be there anymore. It's just like, this is the road that the immune system has learned. It's almost like, you know, bad behavior patterns in a a toddler, right? That's just what they know.
1: I was telling a patient today, it's like post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm, You know, Vietnam vet comes back, he hears a car backfire, and then he thinks he's at war again, no different than you had Lyme disease 10 years ago, and your immune system is triggered by a similar response, but it's not the pathogen and you have the same response. So Uh it's like a post-traumatic immune response. And it mimics, you can't get any more black and white than the bullseye rash came back from eating a food. I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it, but the bullseye rash comes back. It looks exact and all the symptoms came back as Lyme from a food intolerance. So- wow. And so then started- at that
0: point you yeah. would you would read, I mean, I'm sure in figuring this out, you went and retested the titers for whatever the Lyme markers are and observed that, hmm, the culprit's not here and yet.
1: Correct. So a couple things we'll see is we'll look for, we don't usually capture PCRs, which is seeing the virus or a fish test, which sees the virus but we look at the titers, but these titers, um, remember, are memory B cells. These are my antibodies. So memory B cells, they can get activated for any reason. If you, if I had Lyme, which my wife was paralyzed from the neck down from Lyme at one point. So wow. and if, if I kick, not that I ever would, but if, if I kicked her hard in the shins and checked her titers later, her Lyme titers will be up. So the antibodies, the memory B cells will be reactivated in the absence of the pathogen because they're memory B cells that are activated by pro-inflammatory gene expression, which has memory. Hmm. So now we have to say, are those titers due to an infection or are those titers due to an activation from another reason? And we use other markers like TGF-beta and different things to see, is your immune system activated or are you reinfected? And both can be true mm-hmm. and, and and or they can be mutually exclusive. So it's it's really challenging, especially to a patient who is convinced because they have the same symptoms they did when they had the infection, they'll come in screaming for antibiotics again because that's what helped them last time. And it may not be an effective treatment for them.
0: Wow. That's um I've never heard that before. That is insane. And it explains a lot, right? It explains how you know, there's this narrative out there that once you have Lyme, you're done. You always have Lyme and it's never going to go away and you're never really going to be able to get rid of it. And there's a nuance in this, because in a way you kind of do still have Lyme because your immune system's acting like you do. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if the pathogen's there or not you're going through that experience all over again. So how do you deal with that? Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's to, to digress back to, I do think to be fair, um, you do reduce your pathogenic burden, but you will always have a little bit of the pathogen in a biofilm somewhere because you never completely get rid of it. So did your immune system get weak enough that allowed that pathogenic burden to come back? That is a possibility. So it's it's nuanced. So typically after we have a, a Lyme recovery patient, and I'll use my wife as an example because she's fully recovered. So, But if she walks down the chemical aisle of H- Home Depot, her symptoms come back. So she is triggered by those things. So it's if if I do a a good um, dialogue with the patient, sometimes I can see what the trigger was. Like we said in the beginning, taking a good history and figuring out, well, you are triggered again and you think you have Lyme. What made you think it come back? Is your immune system so low that those bugs in the biofilm were able to propagate and come back out again? Or was it something else like an emotional response or another infection? It's the same when, you know, We've been screaming forever, but long COVID is no different than long line. It's this, it, and the, the COVID's gone, right? You're not infected anymore, but you still have the symptoms. It's because the immune system is overactivated, and that can happen with any infection. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, what are your thoughts on the spike protein, though? Because uh, here we go down a slippery slope. Um, <laughs> but the uh, uh, the concept that that piece of the virus remains in the system and can wreak havoc. Well I
1: I think I think it's it's not a popular narrative but it does. It does and the spike protein is wreaking havoc and that spike protein gets lodged that's why we have some multi-system organ failure. Kids get they found it embedded in the tissue of the GI tract in kids, the spike protein. And you know, when you get this spike protein. So if we go on the theory that the spike protein is the holy grail, we make these antibodies to the spike protein and we we'll recover, what happens when the spike protein gets embedded into our Heart and into our gut and into our brain. Well, the immune system goes after it and attacks it. And now you have a spike protein embedded with self tissue, and it's going to attack both of those. Mm-hmm. And instead of identifying self versus non self tissue, it's going to get confused and it's somehow going to say, Oh, I'm attacking spike protein with a little bit of gut. Maybe I'll attack the gut too. And then we have a polyreactivity reaction where we're now triggering an autoimmune response not to mention the spike protein, looks an awful lot like the heart muscle. So if you're gonna attack the spike protein, you are going to attack your heart muscle. And then if you get a large dose of the spike protein every now and again, intentional or unintentional, then you're going to trigger an exaggerated response. You're gonna trigger these antibodies and these antibodies stir up their friends. So if I'm gonna stir up the antibodies of spike protein, no different than getting kicked in the shins and stirring up the antibodies to Lyme, you're going to trigger all of these antibody reactions in the body. So you're going to get this polyreactivity. The spike protein doesn't necessarily clear. Well, we know it doesn't clear nearly as much as we thought it did. And mm-hmm. it embeds tissue and the immune system doesn't like it. So it's going to go after it and attack it in the tissue. When it attacks it in the tissue, there's a greater probability there'll be tissue debris Those debris fields will then not be cleared as self-tissue and they'll be recognized as pathogenic tissue. And now you've triggered an autoimmune type response as you go after the spike protein. I don't know why that was a diatribe, but yeah. Yeah.
0: So have you found, have you found we're so off where we thought we were (laughs) going to be at this point, but now I'm, I can't stop now. I have to kind of ask this question and then we'll, we'll go back. But But have you found that there are strategies that help to clear spike protein from the system? Like it's, you know, because it sure sounds like it's the collateral damage around the 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 like the immune system doing it is doing its job as best as it can. So now, is there anything we can do that helps to get rid of this invader, as it were, that is causing all this? I mean, it's kind of like a criminal hiding in the general population
1: it's a criminal hiding in the general population but it will gradually degrade it'll gradually go down over time because you will eliminate it over time unless you constantly get re-exposed and re-exposed and re-exposed and re-exposed so that's the problem is the greater the exposure so Mm One of the keys is no different than the chronic Lyme patient or the MCAS patient is how do we regulate this exaggerated immune response. So they talked about the cytokine storm, which we've been talking about for 15 years. Um, if you don't have an exaggerated response, if you can modulate that exaggerated response, and it comes back to that same question, do I have a pathogenic burden that needs to be dealt with. And what is the health of the host? So there are the two sides we focus on in the office. What's the health of the host? If you have better regulatory mechanisms in your body and simple things like, is your vitamin D optimal? Mm-hmm. Do you have enough glutathione in your body? We use a ton of NAC and glutathione in the office. We use a lot of quercetin. Uh, we use a lot of perilla, which is uh, has rosemaronic acid and luteolin, which helps to regulate that response as well. So, um, kind of dampens that not to get the Th1 and Th2 yeah. driven signals. So, you know, Peril is one of the great Th2 down regulators. And when we see this exaggerated response, this autoimmune response, it's a spike in Th2 modulated response. That's what's going to trigger the autoimmunity. That's what's going to trigger this excessive response. So perilla is amazing at dampening that, that IL-4 and TH2 response. And so uh, it also repairs mitochondria, which got damaged in the whole. Uh, so I think there's, we're playing with some of the protocols that have recently come out, you know, with the natokinase and the different things. Um, so we use lumbrokinase instead of natokinase just because it doesn't have soy and it's from earthworm instead. But, yeah. um, but uh, so we'll use that and we're seeing, you know, that helps for the fibrinogen in the blood. So it helps as a blood thinner. So I don't know, because I can't really measure in a blood test, how much spike protein you have left. I can run antibodies, but that's again, going back to this exaggerated response. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, I can't measure a number of spike proteins. So uh, we'll try to facilitate that. We use like serum bovine immunoglobulins because it's been shown that they, they actually bind to spike protein and help eliminate spike protein. So, um, any Anything with SBI in it has been shown to be helpful to clear it out, especially kids because it seems to attack their gut more. So um, we'll, we'll yeah. try and do that. Some of those are theoretical because I don't again, we're talked about data points, but I don't have a data point of number of spike proteins circulating in your blood. But I right. would tell you spike proteins are not your friend.
0: No, no, I think I think that's a that's got to be a universally accepted. Out of out of all the things that people fight about, that's got to be a universally accepted fact.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, not to even get too even Paul Offit says spike proteins are not good for your heart. Like so, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's get back to our MCAS people because you have a couple of interesting. Well, a because we didn't say we were going to talk about that, and B because we you do have some really interesting. Things to share. Like for MCAS people who have these massive histamine responses, obviously getting to the bottom of what what's driving it, what's triggering it, the whole nine yards, but then helping people to deal with these things when they happen is another big piece of the puzzle, right? Because people get caught in these spirals and it can be horrifying. Like I mean, and 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 people lose hope a little bit because they they're stuck. Their nervous system stuck, their immune system stuck, and they're sitting there watching this happen inside them.
1: Yeah. So, with the MCAS, you know, you get this inflammatory histamine response. And, you know, it's really bad when you want to rip your skin off because your skin is so heavy. But this histaminic response affects brain, it affects thinking, it affects mood, it it ruins relationships, it it affects sleep uh, and all those hallmarks that are going to keep you healthy long term. And so I think it's very important to focus on mitochondrial health. I think that's super important for MCAS and the cell danger response. Uh, and we we use uh, a large amount of um, like the 1,000 milligram dose. We'll dose it high and we'll dose it frequent. And I know it's commonly considered like a senolytic, um, but we'll use it in large doses, in frequent doses to get these histamine com complexes that come back under control. I was sharing with you earlier, I had a, a boy who had Graves' disease, He, which is autoimmune of the thyroid. And then when he reached age, they burned it out when he was 18, and he developed idiopathic autoimmune urticaria. Uh, and he had hives upon hives over his whole body. And he was co-managed at CHOP. And we ran a marker called IL-17, and it was through the roof. And they put him on a biologic injectable. And it, after steroids and everything else, and none of it was working, and the the, the boy was losing his mind. That's not an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. He was just losing his mind. So we put him on the high dose Fizatine and it, it, it. We used a product called Rejuvenate, and it is just it was it's the only thing that calmed it down. Now the product Rejuvenate, typically you dose four capsules once a week for seniletic activity. We dosed it four capsules every four hours, wow. and we did that for several days because it was the only thing that gave him relief. Now that's not typically how we use it, but we understand the mechanism of action, Fizotene and it calmed it down. We saw that it was effective, even when a biologic wasn't, and then it would wear off in four hours and I dosed it again and we did it for several days until we got the biomarker to come down and his skin to calm down where he didn't want to rip his skin off. So I think that was one of our aha moments. Of you know, if we understand what these ingredients and in these products do, then we can use them clinically appropriate for quote unquote off label use. So we weren't using it as a sedative; we we're using it as a, a histaminic a antihistamine. So,
0: so is it just the fisetin in that formula? Because that's that's the uh, you're talking about the healthevity, um, right? supplement there right um which is which is marketed as a senolytic and you know speaking to and we can talk a little bit also about the idea of pulsing senolytics outside of this type of an application like you know this is a this is incredible so being able to like for people listening to this who have these sometimes and probably not as extreme as this
1: this was the most extreme i've ever seen and so right
0: but to have his for people to have histamine responses is is a thing, and so right. the idea that you could take a supplement, not even a medication, but right. that is formulated in such a way that taking a dose of this supplement could actually calm you down, um, takes it to the next level. But what else is it? Just the phytin in that in that stack? I don't think, Do you think so. That's so. doing it's, the work?
1: Well, first of all, it's the highest dose of phytin that I see in any product, so that was one thing that gave me some some hope it also has the quercetin in it it has luteolin in it so you're supporting and this is a really nice combination product that supports has spermidine in it Uh, so this really supports um, this excessive inflammatory response it helps turn the m1 max into the m2 max kind of calms down that aggressive response so uh i think it i i if I had to hang my hat on one ingredient, which would be a mistake, it would be the Fisotin, but I don't think that that was it. I think it was the combination of how those they, they were synergistically blended together um, to calm down inflammation, support mitochondrial function, reduce histamine response, and that histamine response also cycling back to reducing a uh, cell danger response from the mitochondria leaking out the ATP. So mm-hmm. it, it was it was a perfect blend for us.
0: Yeah. And so, so in this case, so you used it for seven days at mega dose, which is, we're not recommending people do that at all. If you're in that kind of condition, you need to find a physician who's going to walk this road with you and guide you along. But after the seven days, did that, was he basically okay? Or is it the kind of thing that, you know, it was a process and maybe had to dive back in every once in a while?
1: yeah so we we I didn't want to keep him at that level first of all, nobody's ever used it at that level for that long um but you know biologic is also pretty pretty strong too so I was in good company because I was using they were they were lost too uh, so we back down and then we then pulsed it as needed for him so he would flare a little bit and then he'd calm back down and so we would pulse the the rejuvenate in for him as needed and sometimes it would be twice in a day, sometimes it'd be three or four days. We weren't exactly sure what the mechanism was other than it happened immediately after his radioactive uh, uh, radioactive iodine uptake of, to his thyroid. So, uh, so it, it gradually calmed down. We don't know if, if it calmed down because of what we did, or it was going to gradually calm down on its own. We were more supporting the ride. It was a yeah. terrible ride for him. It was a, it was a nightmare ride. So the, the rejuvenate was able to k- help him survive that ride. And the mm-hmm. doses varied. buried after it was super intense um, for six, seven days. Then we backed down and then it got less and less and less and less over time.
0: Yeah. So it almost, yeah. So the body just kind <laughs> of yeah, decided, probably okay, well, maybe we decided. don't need to be yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so freaked out all the time. Yeah. Um, and so So let's talk a little bit about senolytics and this whole idea of pulsing, reducing the senescent load in the body, which is a very different application for that supplement, right? Like, I mean, I've definitely heard of quercetin for mast cells to calm mast cells down because it kind of loads up those receptors. High dose vitamin C is another thing that gets used sometimes. But in this case, this is a very specific formula that's used in a very specific way, which I'm guessing you use it with your patients on the right side of the equation. <laughs> yes,
1: for the longevity page for the, our our, our, our longevity patients, right? So we have this program. Um, they they will use this and they'll pulse it to clean up senescent cells. And it also, um, uh, it, you pulse it because you don't want to have that senescent cell cleanup all the time. You want to have cell growth and then clean up the guys that are dormant and not doing their jobs anymore. But you don't want to dampen Expression of life and and damp daughter cells being made. You just want to you want to clean up the guys that aren't or, or, that aren't doing their job. So mm-hmm. um, we'll use that. I mean, it's really our senescence formula, <laughs> but we use it for a completely different purpose because of the me- understanding the mechanism of what else is in it. So it works great for inflammation. It helps with. Mitochondrial function and the spermidine. I don't know if the spermidine had anything to do with this histamine response, but you know that's one of the few things that hits all nine hallmarks of aging. So um, I, I don't know. I, again, we're in uncharted territory, but desperate times called for desperate measures, and that's what we did. So
0: and so, would you say is this something that you now kind of have in your back pocket for people who have histamine issues? Would you absolutely
1: without yeah. question? It's now it is now kind of a. We don't like protocols or standards of care because they're four-letter words to us, but it is kind (laughs) of our protocol or our standard of care for a a histamine flare. We'll go right to it, and it almost always calms it down. Now, we use it in conjunction with uh, some other, like we we use a little bit extra perilla and quercetin and and resveratrol and um, uh, turmeric, but we'll put that into a formula, and we'll always put this in with it. We'll always use that luteolin and the fisetin in there, Um, so we use Rejuvenate. Kind of off-label. Nobody ever thought of it as a yeah. antihistamine product. So
0: well, and it's interesting when you're starting to be able to use a supplement, which is really an over-the-counter anybody can buy it, in a therapeutic way that gives you a better effect than even a medication, right? Like it was, it's it it's impressive. a pretty facet. It's pretty impressive when you come across supplements that actually are so powerful and so well constructed. That therapeutically, they're blowing out the biologic, for example, or the steroids. Well,
1: and and I, 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 you know, this is a health Jevity product, and I, I will say the the health Jevity line does that for me because it it gives therapeutic doses, it gives white paper doses, it gives the doses. It's not fairy dusting of of, of things. It get, when I use one of their products, I know I'm going to get the results in the labs. What it does for me is when I know what I'm what I'm using it what it's indicated for that I'm using it for will move the needle. I will mm-hmm. see changes in labs. I will see changes in patient expression. I will see changes because the amount that's in there and the way that it's delivered, um, even some of the products have some small amount of snack in them that it, it just helps to deliver that uh, through the gut wall and it, it makes the difference and it, it makes all the difference. If, mm-hmm. if you can't get, the if, unless you're doing an injection or a nasal spray, or a transdermal, you have to get it into the body in a therapeutic dose. And if you're not getting into the body in a therapeutic dose, you could take the whole bottle. It's not yeah. getting into the it's body. It's not getting there. Needs to do so.
0: Yeah, it's that. It's that. You know, speaking to someone who doesn't speak your language and just yelling at them. They yes, still, yes. they're still not going to get it
1: <laughs> louder is not going to get it like louder still, and still slower speak even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: so let's talk about snack because snack is a and let's tell people what snack is because some people are thinking are we talking about chips
1: yeah or, what
0: are we talking about snacks for um let's talk a little bit about snack because i know that snack is a fairly controversial ingredient there are there are practitioners out there who are like Why on earth would you want to use something that's prying the tight junctions apart in the gut? Um, And then people like you who are sitting there going, well, hold on a minute, used in the right way at the right time in the right dosage, we're compromising, but we're doing it for the greater good. And there's other ingredients in there that may just kind of mask like heal the damage or heal the process. So I'm butchering it right now because we talked about it earlier but let's let's talk about this ingredient because I know that it gets people very upset, and yet it can be very powerful at the same time. So, I,
1: I think it's a fair question, right? We're inducing leak we're in, inducing leaky gut. We're causing tight junctions to loosen. Um, so now, I will say in the pharmaceutical world, they use they use this to bypass using injections. like revulsis is a it, that's how they use it. And they use it in huge quantities to get a ton of stuff through the gut wall. Um, And I think there can be some problem with that. And again, going back to my antibody response, if you're building antibodies to the gut wall, then you're building antibodies to your blood brain barrier as well. So I think there is a fair conversation, that is fair. But I would also say conversely, if you're using minutiae doses to just get efficacy of getting the ingredient or the peptide in this case, across a gut wall um, for the process of healing inside. So if you're not able to use an injectable, if you don't wanna use an injectable, Mm -hmm. but you wanna get a therapeutic dose dose into the physiology, there's very, some things are very hard to get across the gut wall. And so if you can open up a tight junction for a short period of time to get a therapeutic into the body, uh, so if I said to this boy, I'm going to open up your tight junctions and you're not going to want to rip your skin off and actually go insane um but then afterwards we'll deal with if there's leftover leaky gut or you know if you're pretty healthy the gut will recover every baby is born with a leaky gut and somehow they don't have one so i mean it's not like leaky gut is terminal uh terminally incorrectable it can be corrected so so i think that it's a fair conversation But I think if you use small doses that still give you the efficacy to deliver the peptide or the ingredient across the gut wall um, without creating a long-term leaky gut, that's a fair trade-off. And if you're using something like the BPC with snack in it, I think you're opening it up. You're getting some of the BPC and the PEA into the body, right? So you're not having to use an injectable. And then the BPC will also heal up the tight junctions as well. So I think Again, if you're an astute clinician, you're going to recognize that snack can do this, but you're going to be aware of it and fix the problem. I think it's a beautiful way to deliver some of these peptides and some of these therapeutics into the body in a way that certainly isn't as damaging as 100 times the dose they're using in the, in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so, I mean, that would mean that everybody taking Rebalsis has leaky gut for life. And, and you know, th- that that may be the case, but they're using such a high dose of it. I think that's a mistake. I think using small amounts in meter doses, and by the way, we've been using it for quite some time, and we're not seeing the damaging effects of leaky gut from using products with snack in it. So.
0: Hey guys, just a quick interruption to talk to you a little bit about a new product that I've discovered at from our friends at Profound Health. Now, you guys know that I get all my oral bioregulators from Profound Health and even some of the synthetics, but recently I discovered a new peptide-based product that is just The bomb. It's amazing. It's called Oral Tide Pro, and it is for your mouth. It, you know, that often forgotten, abandoned kind of place where many experts would say disease begins. So, Oral Tide Pro contains two peptides it contains AGDP, anti gingival recession peptide, and DRP ACP, which is a dental bond peptide. And guess what it does? It helps to promote the growth of shrinking gums, it speeds the healing of mouth and tongue. and it repairs damaged enamel. And I can tell you that after a month of using this product, I'm finding that my teeth are a lot less sensitive than they ever used to be, and they're getting whiter. Now, how do you use it? It is a mouthwash, and you do have to swish for 10 full minutes every day. So what I do is I set my timer for 10 minutes, and either I sit in front of my red light lamp, or I take my dog for a walk. Granted, it looks a little weird, or I even take a shower, And keep swishing, swishing, swishing. When my timer goes off, I spit it out, rinse out my mouth, and I am done and ready to go for the day. Telling you guys, you've got to try this stuff. It's the best. All right. So how do you get your hands on it? It's profound-health.com. And all you have to do is use discount code longevity, 15, and save 15% off your first order. All right. Let's get back to the episode. Let's talk a little bit about this combination of BPC and PEA, because it seems to be a fairly popular combination, the BPC-157 being the magical peptide that it is, it seems to have applications virtually for every tissue in the body. I don't think we can think of anything that doesn't help, but let's talk a little bit maybe about the PEA first and then what you're seeing because BPC oral typically, for me, I find that it's, I'm, I'll am i use BPC-157 oral more for gut issues but i think that with the pea and maybe with the snack it seems to now have wider broader array of effects that that aren't just limited to the gut
1: so yeah we first used the bpc with the pea even at that point for gut and gut discomfort and almost by mistake we realized it was helping the extremities it was helping pain in the knee and it was helping you know all other all our pains so well, first of all, we knew it was crossing the gut wall because it mm-hmm. was working in other areas. We also see, saw accelerated healing in tissue-damaged areas outside of the gut. So we knew that the, the BPC was carrying with it. So we saw pain reduction from the PEA, which was almost immediate. So patient buy-in was big because they're saying, I feel better. So yes. now I'll give it some more time to heal. And then so we used the, 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 the PEA for the pain relief and the BPC – was then accelerating tissue repair and wherever the damage was. So it was really a nice combination of, you have pain and from damage. And so we're dampening the pain and supporting the repair at the same time. And you know we were using it in gut situations. We quickly figured out that it worked in other situations. And again, we saw no residual leaky gut issues. And sometimes I'm a little weird, full disclosure, I run my labs every single month, which is 27 tubes. Not a month goes by where I don't run 27 tubes and 70 biomarkers every month on myself, every single month. So in the cases where we're looking that we'll run leaky gut panels to see, did we induce leaky gut? And we don't see it. We're not seeing that happen with with the small amounts of snack in the product.
0: That's amazing. And, and and it's a beautiful alternative to the injections. Honestly, I think that. Well, we use
1: the we use the injections before. I mean, years ago, we used the injections quite a bit, and they were very powerful as well. Um, we don't use them anymore, but um, uh, wow. but they they we we don't find as much of a need to use them anymore. So we get just almost as good results from the BPC with the PA with the snack in it.
0: Okay, so let's talk about BPC a little bit because it's. I find it a really fascinating peptide in the sense that, you know, it's so powerful. It's it's got so many different pathways that it works on. It works on the brain, it works on the nervous system, it works on the gut, works on musculoskeletal tissue, it works on organs, all the things. Is it technically still not approved as a as something by the FDA? Is it still living in this weird kind of gray zone of peptides?
1: Still in limbo. Still in limbo. Um, yeah. it's, and, and we're concerned, especially the injectable will be taken, you know, it, it's, it's coming to that, uh, all the, you know, all the, all your peptides are under scrutiny is the injectable peptide. So if we can get fragments of the peptides and we get the pertinent, you know, two to four to six, you know, amino acid, if we can get those across the gut, the, they'll be harder for them to take from us. But, uh. Yeah, but BPC, a, nor- a normally occurring gastric peptide, which also has properties in the rest of the body. I mean, who doesn't want body protective compound in their in their in their body? Like, who doesn't yeah. want that to repair? Uh, it, it is interesting, and um, I have been in touch with some major college football teams in the United States, and. I will tell you that BPC was their go-to for injury all the time. So there was no doubt it was effective. There was no doubt it was working, um, extra extra GI, it was working outside the gut. And we find it fascinating as the spillover. And at the same time, we're probably hitting one of the hallmarks of chronic inflammation with gut at the same time we're getting it across the gut wall into the tissue. So yeah. probably killing two birds with one stone in ways we don't even know.
0: Yeah. I have a question for you. BPC also in some people, and I'm sure you've, I would imagine you've seen this clinically. There's a small subset of people that seem to, BPC makes them crazy. Like on paper, if you read the literature, BPC-157 is supposed to balance the dopaminergic, serotonergic, and GABAergic centers in the brain. So on paper, everybody should feel better when they're using their BPC-157 and then you get the outliers and but they're not there's not that few of them there's actually communities of people that bpc157 affects them psycho like cognitively in a negative way are you seeing this or or even histamine i mean
1: yeah. so we are seeing that and i don't i don't know the mechanism so i don't know so i'm kind of also in the camp of not just neurotransmitter uh, but also um, more of an uh, inflammatory uh, cytokine model of, of what's going on in the brain. So I don't know if there is, if there's, glial priming. So the glial cells in the brain are already primed. I don't know if they're more more activated. If we're, I don't know what BPC is doing because they're activating a primed glial cell. I don't know if it's something to do with the leaky blood-brain barrier issue. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know, also I'm seeing it more in people that tend to be triggered with those M1 max versus M2 max, those inflammatory kill max as opposed to cleanup and resolution max. So we are looking into it and it's like trying to put our finger on a moving target. I don't know who it's gonna affect that way and I don't know why.
0: It's interesting. I think over time you're gonna find that threat. Like people like you are gonna say, look at that. There's this one thing that seems to run through all these people and maybe, maybe AI will step in and say, Hey, guess what? (laughs) There's this one thing you can't see.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I hope it's somebody smarter than me because I'm looking at it and I get to see, I get the the blessing of seeing all these patients and nothing's more frustrating when you, you see the thread and you're like, but I don't know why I I see it. I can identify that it's real. I just don't know why it's there.
0: Yeah no that's I'd I was curious I I keep asking people I'm like what do you think is doing this because otherwise it's it seems to be this miracle compound that is native to the body like we make it it lives in our body and yet there's just this small group of people that you reintroduce it into the body for a therapeutic effect <laughs> And it completely backfires. And there doesn't seem to be rhyme or reason to it yet.
1: But my working theory, which could be completely wrong, is we have th- those people have glial priming. So they're primed for some other reason, right? They're, they have glial priming, which means they're more likely to turn on that inflammatory response in the brain. Um, so they're more shifted towards uh, that altered cytokine response they're they're more shifted towards that inflammatory response and i don't know why bpc triggers that but that's my that's my working theory today tomorrow i'm probably going to change it that's yeah, my working theory that's, today that's
0: that's part of that learning thing you know it's it's part of the curiosity and the learning that we go through so and our, and do you last question on this is do you see it as much with the oral as you do with the injectable or do you, do you see like, is it, do you find that no matter how it's introduced, you're seeing that response? Or do some people well, seem to get away with it with the oral more than they might? We,
1: we saw, well, we were using, when we use, when we we're using the injectable, we saw more of it because we we're using higher doses. And, mm-hmm. and so I think it was a dose dependent thing. I haven't seen it, I won't say I haven't seen it at all, but I've seen it much less with oral than I have with injectable.
0: So that's really interesting, right?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I would have to go back. And I will go back because Monday we have our quarterly meeting, but I would say in the past three months, I don't know that we've had anybody with oral, taking done with taking oral have had that reaction. And we were seeing it not all the time, but frequently enough because we we're doing enough of the injectable. Like I said, we kind of got away from the injectable because we're getting the results from the oral. But I can tell you that that, that incident, now that I think about it, I haven't thought about until right now, I, we haven't had... One that has been brought to my attention in the past three months. We do our quarterly we do quarterly roundups every three months, and I haven't I haven't seen that come to my table.
0: That's super interesting. I find that interesting. So, so we've you know so we've kind of gone this road, and I'm looking at the time to see how much time we have left here. We have a bit of time. So the the final question I was going to ask you and we talked about this a little bit before the podcast and i think this is a point i think that's really interesting for people to get their heads around and get crystallized is the number of people that you see come in the door that say i'm i have no issues i'm fine i just want you to make me more better and how often do you run your barrage of tests and take and bleed them? <laughs> to your I'm known as a vampire.
1: And I say, it's the only thing I'm not going to apologize for. I'm not yeah. going to apologize for running those tests. Yeah. No, no,
0: don't apologize. I mean, that's how you do what you do. But, and how often do you have to sit that person down and say, okay, about this whole you're okay thing, here's yeah. what we found. And what are the types of things that you're seeing brewing in people that they, they're not even aware of?
1: So, like I said, that's kind of our livegevity program. It's a name I just made up. livegevity So well,
0: it works well with health Jevity, which is the well, livegevity so- was before
1: health Jevity, So I think Was it really? Know. Oh, so yeah, no wonder yeah, you and Michael yeah. get along so well. <laughs> so live longevity was like I didn't want to add longevity, I wanted to add life to people, right? So um, and I am probably a little bit geeky on cardiovascular disease. I go really deep into ASCBD and it's one of the things I teach. So we have people come in and they think they're fine. Now, some of them have some minor things they're aware of, but other people think they're coming in they're fine. I would say of less than easily less than ten percent have nothing wrong with them. I would say ninety percent of the people that come in thinking they're healthy, we find something that is a risk factor for them. So. Many of them, it is like their ApoB or their LP little a or little things like that. Um, We run a bunch of inflammatory markers and cytokine markers. And if they're out of whack, something else is going to trigger or brew. So we see a lot of people that have things they never knew about. And one of the things I was telling you earlier is our phrase is we have to get to it before it gets to them, whatever it is. And even if they're unaware of it. (laughs) <laughs> Especially if they're unaware of it. Yeah. yeah. So so the it thing, we got to get to it before it gets to them. And these things we see that are brewing. And it's just like, you know, people, I think I stole it from Peter Atia, heart disease doesn't it starts in your 20s and 30s and kills you in your 50s and 60s. So does inflammation, so does so does cytokine everything. activation, so does everything. So um I would say m- most of the time those patients come in. They're also the most receptive because they thought they were fine. And mm-hmm. then you present them data that show that they're not fine and their light goes off and they're also motivated, right? They're the most motivated pe- patients who come in and say, I'm coming here spending a bunch of money because I want to be healthy. And I think I am healthy. They're already motivated because they walked in the door without an acute crisis. So the light bulb goes off, the aha moment hits, and then they're their most, and they actually respond super quick because they're not bogged down with a bunch of diseases so far but we see i mean across the board the risk of ascvd the risk of of, of pre-diabetes or, or yeah. dysregulated blood sugar um we'll see um it will i know you we do the prodrome test on them yeah. so we'll. See the yeah we'll do the plasmologen test we'll do a prodrome and see if we have if they have possible cognitive decline you know, it may be the first time they had their APOE4 gene, and we can say we can completely negate this with plasmalogen therapy. So uh, there's a lot of things that we bring to their attention that they might have been unaware of before. Um, and yeah. that's the most rewarding, I would say, because other people know they're here for a reason. Some of these people are like, why am I here? You know, I know I should want to be, and they were like, oh, now I know why I'm here, because I found these five things that are potential nuclear warheads in my body that are going to rob me of my lifespan that I didn't even know about before I came.
0: Right. And that you can disarm. More important. Yeah, and, and I mean you can so, it's easier to pull it back before it hits. Yes. Than-
1: well the other piece too is we'll 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 measure their body fat and we'll measure their muscle mass and then we'll we'll do the DEXA scans on them and, and we can show them that you're degrading in your muscle mass and your bone health over time And to come up with another peptide, the peptistrong peptide, which we love the peptistrong peptide because it has a better muscle regeneration than, you know, whey protein and milk protein. It it, it has better fatigue. So people that are starting to work out, they're going to have less fatigue. You're going to have more um, muscle uh, repair. And that leads to bone repair, which leads to decreased osteoporosis down the road. So we just see a tremendous benefit from the Pepti Strong, and that's one of the ones that's kind of a hallmark of that um, longevity program. Is you're going to decline in muscle mass, you're going to decline in, in in over time, and that's going to lead to a whole bunch of problems from being able to utilize the calories that you're eating because you have less muscle mass, which is metabolically active. To then you're going to have less muscle mass, so you're going to have an increased risk of fall. And then your bones aren't going to be as dense. They're going to have increased risk of fracture and, you know, all the, all of the pieces that go with it. So that's, uh, that's one of the big ones we can point out to people when we do, when we do their, their body fat and muscle fat, we can actually, that's something that they're unaware of. They think they're fit, because they're fitter than the other 50, 60 year old that they sit yeah. next to in the office, but that's a really poor population to judge yourself against. And then we put them against a the healthy population and they're appalled. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let actually, so before we go, let's talk about Pepti Strong a bit because that is that is an ingredient. And this is this is one of the things that you know, one of the who brought us together was Michael Antonelli from a supplement company called Health Jevity. So you know what guys we've we've mentioned a couple of his products already there's something about this guy who goes he goes ferreting out these ingredients that nobody's ever heard of before that may never have been seen in the market before and this pepti strong is one of them and it's in a formula called longevity right, right. and okay. and pepti strong is a fava bean pept it's an ex- it's a peptide that was isolated in fava beans can you talk to us a little bit about what it does? Like doesn't it it, it stimulates bone growth, but is it the, is it doing it by doing something to the growth hormone in the body or is it a different mechanism of action? Do we have any clarity on I
1: that? I I think um I have to, I read all the research on what it does and I don't know if I understand completely what it why it's doing what it's doing. Um I think I have some research on it though. So Um, but I, I was so impressed with the effects that you get from it, where everybody's trying to, you know, now everybody's trying to eat all this protein, you know, to get Mm -hmm. the grams of protein to send a signal to not have the muscle breakdown and you can do it with Pepti Strong. Pepti Strong prevents the muscle degradation. Uh, so here it's 103% versus 68% of milk protein four times improved muscle protein synthesis versus milk protein there's a lot of research that it uh um in in just two weeks it, it I will tell you just anecdotally we put a lot of patients on it who are trying to work out and get sore they don't get sore nearly as much so the recovery better recovery. One of our own providers started working out because he's like I gotta get healthy he's 55. and he was so sore and he took the pepti strong he's like this stuff is like magic I don't get sore so he, he stayed on it so um I think, but the mechanism—I I am ignorant on that, and I shouldn't be. Um,
0: That's okay. I put you—I I put you on the spot. We hadn't planned to talk about that. I—I no. I myself really fascinated with that ingredient because, and that formula, because you know we've got all these people running around using growth hormone secretagogues, or they're convincing somebody oh. to give them growth hormone. And you know, there's a good news, bad news situation with bumping up growth hormone. Like I, you know, we want enough, but we don't want too much. And, and it's, and it's a, and it's a pretty, it's a tough line to find, right? And so to, to have access to a supplement that has an ingredient that gives us the effect that we're looking for without having to
1: hit that. I'm I'm in the same camp as you. I like. I like, I like growth hormone, but I like growth hormone secretagogues better than growth hormone. And I like Pepti Strong better than growth hormone secretagogues. but not that they're all bad. And there's times and places where you can use them like, but, and, and the Pepti Strong, they combine with the estrogen, which is Mm -hmm. also great for endurance. And and I just love how he has put the formulas together in doses that matter, Mm -hmm. in formulas that matter and ingredients that they're not everywhere they're, they're like these are not common ingredients these are unique ingredients that move the needle in doses that are therapeutic levels which is which is what i really like so and i like i i would i would say that if it even is on the growth hormone pathway it's in a way that is far enough downstream that it's not going to create any kind of issues like taking growth hormone or even a growth hormone secretagogue, um, and I think we use those as well. I mean, yeah. to be, well, fair.
0: I'm allergic. Use- I'm allergic to growth hormone secretagogues, so no. I can't no. use them. You don't use them
1: at all. So, so I'm
0: super excited about this supplement, actually.
1: So and and you know this is the other point. I get I am like a kid in a sandbox because of the office we have and the size that we have and the patients that we see. I get to use whatever I want i have everybody coming to our door saying we use our products we use our products so i get to pick what i want and what i'm loyal to is a patient i'm not loyal to a manufacturer i'm loyal to a patient so if it works for a patient i'm going to use a patient it's not based on price it's not based on profit margin it's based on efficacy to the patient if it works for a patient we're going to do it if it doesn't work for a patient why are we doing it another phrase we have in the office so it doesn't matter about price points and profitability we're going to use what works and mm-hmm. if it's expensive but it works that's what we're going to use and if we get something cheaper that doesn't work we're not going to use it so um so i, I really like the fact that i have confidence in the products at their therapeutic levels and their therapeutic doses and pepti strong is just a go-to it's yeah. a go-to. Yeah,
0: yeah no i'm i'm and, and so few people know about it i mean it's kind of like one of the best kept secrets so hopefully after this podcast people will pay attention
1: well the name pepti strong kind of says it all it's a, it's a peptide that helps keep you strong and you know some of the products i'm a big fan of ingredients rather than product names so i i find myself going back there not even knowing what the name of the product is i'm like i want the one with pepti strong yeah. you know i need the it's other one l- it's called really- longevity
0: guys you want longevity that's that's the one
1: <laughs> yeah i definitely- too lost it <laughs> Uh, so I, and you know, that some of the names I have to get my, wrap my head around, like rejuvenate. I'm like, yeah, we use it for mass cell rejuvenate. What are you talking about? That's the senolytic no, no rejuvenate has the ingredients in it that calm down the mass cell activation. So we're going to use it. We would, we, we probably use it. Well, I can promise you, we use rejuvenate more for mass cell than we do for senolytic.
0: Wow. That's and we have a
1: whole program. Like I said, for longevity, we have a whole program for it. And we still use it more because it's so effective as our mast cell activation.
0: That's crazy. That's really cool. All right. We... I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to open another door and take us, but uh, presumably you have places to go and things to do and people to see. So. I would
1: rather be nowhere else than right here, right? Yeah.
0: Now. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation. I hope everybody else is too, but you know, Dr. Turnpop, why don't you tell people a little bit about where they can find you and I would imagine you take on 250 new patients a month, so there's got to be room for a few more. So, And do you practice telemedicine in your practices at all? Because you have four offices, right?
1: We have four offices. We do telemedicine. We have uh, pretty, as you can imagine, we have a big enough bullseye on our back that we have to follow every guideline just so. Mm-hmm. So we can give a lot of advice we don't prescribe over state lines so we okay. don't prescribe medication over state line but we do telehealth we do our longevity program all over the country and um in 13 other countries so we we're, we do telehealth everywhere um we're in central pennsylvania um my wife would kill me if i didn't tell you so i think our our facebook and instagram mm-hmm. is terpa health and uh or so we have a variety of clinicians. So it, we have 20 different clinicians who have different specialties. Dr. West handles our longevity program. That's kind of the, the people that want to be healthy executives that want to get healthy and stay healthy, although we have 30-year-olds in it. Um, and uh, we, we, we handle everything from really, really sick in a wheelchair, can't move to I'm optimal, and I think I'm optimal, but I want to make sure that I'm optimal. So...
0: I love it. And you love health Jevity supplements in your practice. <laughs> oh,
1: I do. I, I mean, the name, it's funny. We came up with live Jevity and then we have health Jevity. It's kind of a perfect marriage. And, and again, we use everything. We use, we have a whole, we use a ton of stuff, but nothing do I have as much confidence as the health Jevity products. And it's not just that they're uniquely formulated, but they are, you're not going to find this stuff in other products. They're dosed at a, you can Mm -hmm. be confident in what's in it because the dosing is correct.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. That's such an important point. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much. This has been a total pleasure and an honor. And uh, I hope we get to talk again. I know there's- I hope so. I'd love to come
1: back. This is is wonderful. So anytime, Um, this was great. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. Have a great evening. You too. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, mattnidham.com.